Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Thanks so much for joining us for Texas Ag Today. Coming up on today's show, we'll talk about Mike Conaway's new part-time job. Of course, Congressman Conaway chaired the House Agriculture Committee for several years in Congress. He recently retired, but he's joined a new board to help support Texas agriculture. More on that coming up. Plus, we've gotten some really big rain out in the Panhandle and western Texas. We'll talk with one Panhandle farmer and rancher about the big one-day rain total that he got over the weekend. My name is Carrie Martin. I'm part of the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Members of Congress and agricultural producers address supercharged death tax proposal that would have a detrimental effect on family farms, ranches, and Main Street family-owned businesses. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have the story on Texas Ag Today. A little planning now could help Texas High Plains ranchers make a little more money when they market their spring-born calf crop. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. A wet spring helps farmers appreciate technology that may not have been invented with them in mind. Hello, I'm Barry Mahler, and I'll have the story in today's report. We'll have those stories, plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. The former chairman of the U.S. House Agriculture Committee has joined the board of directors for the Texas Agricultural Land Trust. Jessica Domel has more. Former U.S. Congressman Mike Conaway of Texas may have retired from the U.S. House of Representatives and the House Ag Committee, but the Odessa native remains committed to serving the people of Texas agriculture. Conaway, an eight-term congressman, was recently appointed to the Texas Agricultural Land Trust Board of Directors. Board Chairman David Crow said Conaway's legislative experience and accounting background will be invaluable to the trust as they continue to increase their presence in the world of conservation to promote open lands and the agricultural operations that support them. The trust's mission is to conserve the heritage of Texas agricultural lands, wildlife habitats, and natural resources. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Parts of the Texas Panhandle and West Texas have received some big rainfall in the last week. Rancher Pat McDowell of Shamrock says he got one of the biggest one-day rain totals that he's seen since the early 2000s. The rain got uh, late Friday night, early Saturday morning. We had 3.90 inches, which is the biggest rain as far back as I can see, a one-day rain back to, I think, the last 16 years. While that much rain in such a short period can cause problems, McDowell says he's not complaining. Uh, We caught pond water out of it, which we was sorely needed. We lost a few water gaps and spent a big chunk of the day Saturday fixing water gaps, but it's just a a happy chore to have to do, I guess. McDowell says he had had a total of eight inches of rain this year so far before this weekend's big downpour. There are two proposals in Congress that could devastate family farms and ranches when it comes time to pass them on to the next generation. Tom Nicoletti has more on a hearing on those proposals. A nationwide meeting featured discussion on how a proposal in Washington to create a second death tax by repealing so-called stepped-up basis will harm America's family farms, ranches, and Main Street family-owned businesses. 
Texas Congressman Kevin Brady of the Woodlands is a member of the House Ways and Means Committee, previously serving as the committee's chair. We're here to discuss President Biden's plan to create a supercharged second debt tax and how doing so will destroy America's family-owned farms, ranches, and small businesses. Democrats and President Biden, as you know, have pledged to repeal stepped-up basis, which is what it makes it possible for a family-owned business like, like a farm or ranch to pass from one generation to the next without being forced to sell off assets to pay for an enormous tax bill in Washington. According to new economic analysis, repeal of stepped-up uh, basis uh, on local farms and businesses will cost 1 million American jobs over the next 12 years, while shrinking our economy by $100 billion over the next decade. This is an alarming issue and one that small businesses and family-owned farms and ranches throughout the country these days are at the top of their list of major worries. Texas agricultural producer Pat McDowell raises grains and cattle in Shamrock in Wheeler County. My volunteer job is being a Texas Farm Bureau State Director. My real job is raising cattle and farming in partnership with my two brothers in the Texas Panhandle. We are the fifth generation on this land. Our goal is to pass our family ranch and farm to my niece and her husband because they want to continue our family business. We've done considerable estate planning, which has cost a lot of money and time. Our estate plan has been centered on using stepped-up basis. The Biden administration proposal totally undermines our estate plan. This plan punishes our family just because we want the next generation to be able to make a living in agriculture. If they do not get the stepped-up basis in the land, they will have to sell much more land to pay this new tax. If very much land has to be sold, the entire ranch is not economically viable and they will be out of business. Stepped-up basis is just not about land. Our cattle and farm equipment are in the crosshairs of this proposal. Remember, it, it will just not be our assets hitting the market. Every small family business in the nation that has had a principal pass away will be selling at a frantic pace just to pay these new taxes. The loss of stepped-up basis will kill our family farm. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. A few things here or there can help or hurt a rancher's profits. James Hunt has some tips from the Panhandle. As we move deeper into summer and head toward the fall, Texas A&M AgriLife beef cattle specialist Jason Smith says this is a good time for Texas High Plains ranchers to be thinking about things like weaning, preconditioning, and how they're going to market this year's spring-born calf crop. A lot of opportunity now if we start planning our vaccination and, and preventive herd health programs to integrate those in a way that they're going to be pretty mindful of our labor resources, but set cattle up where we can potentially receive a pretty large premium for them, uh, set their future buyers up to be as successful as possible or their future owners, and also to allow those cattle to be accepted into the type of marketing programs that are going to allow those things to happen. And with the success of future calf crops and the overall health of their herds in mind, Dr. Smith offers another reminder to ranchers to monitor the body condition of their cows on a regular basis. The important thing to keep in mind is that body condition is probably our best indicator trait for our economically relevant traits in cow-calf production. And so when we start seeing changes in body condition, we expect to see changes in productivity, and those go both directions. We see cows improve condition, we see productivity go up, we see cows decreased condition, it goes down. And so if we're constantly evaluating those things, we can get ahead of an issue and potentially correct it before we go too far in one direction to where uh, it's it may not be recoverable or from an economic standpoint, 
the benefit of that recovery just it's not possible for us to to come back from i'm james hunt on the texas farm bureau radio network a wet spring helps farmers appreciate technology that may not have been invented with them in mind barry mahler has that story from the texas rolling plains when reading the latest farm publications, those of us here on the plains of Texas realize that a lot of the cutting-edge technology being developed and released isn't directly aimed at us. The same is true of many laws that are passed and rules and regulations that are handed down. We realize that it's first and foremost designed and aimed for the Corn Belt in the middle of the country. That's not that we don't adopt it, use it, and appreciate it, but we realize that we're not the center of the universe when it comes to food production. When we go through a challenging season like we're having here this spring, we really begin to appreciate all these things that help make us more productive, whether they were designed for us or somebody else. One of those items that has brought benefits is the herbicide dicamba. Dicamba is a selective herbicide used for post-emergent control of broadleaf weeds in corn, soybeans, and cotton. It's been a challenging year to get a cotton crop in the ground up and growing, and having varieties that are tolerant to dicamba and glyphosate have been a big help. When ground goes from way too wet to plant to too dry to get a stand in a matter of few days, it's great to have herbicides that can be used to control weeds and not leave a residue that'll damage the crop. When you're getting a rain every few days, the weeds get a head start. So when you have these herbicides available to apply right before or just after planting, it's a real game changer, and we didn't have them in our arsenal, well, just a few years ago. So once again, it's something that wasn't necessarily developed for our use here on the plains for raising no-till cotton, but it has been a huge help. While running the planter this spring, I could look around and appreciate many other technological advances doing their job to help us get it done on time. Things like a good GPS guidance system that works so much better in no-till than the old-fashioned row marker and a good planter monitor to let you know how things are going when you're behind and in a hurry. Once again, these things that probably weren't developed for dryland cotton production on the plains, but they sure have helped us out. This is Barry Mahler reporting from the Rolling Plains for Texas Ag Today. A group of Texas landowners, biologists, conservationists, and veterinarians are calling on the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department to require permanent identification on bred deer in the state. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have the details coming up on Texas Ag Today. And probiotics are common supplements that have proven to be useful in humans with gastrointestinal disease. But what about using those on horses? Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Parenting is full of surprises. You never know what to expect. So after our son was born, I called my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent to set up a life insurance policy in case something happened to me. Sawyer is now two. And we'll soon have a sister. There's no one else I would trust with protecting my family. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com for an agent you can trust with life's most important decisions. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. We humans can use probiotics to help with gastrointestinal problems, and they've been proven to be successful. But the evidence is not that clear when it comes to using them in horses. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a closer look. Probiotics have been researched extensively in human medicine, and although there are multiple probiotics available for use in horses, the evidence to support their use is lacking. 
Lots of the probiotics for horses actually contain bacteria that have been found to be effective in humans, and the horse's GI tract is much different than that of humans. A recent review out of Australia looked at 18 different studies and found that although the human probiotic products seem to be safe in horses, the effectiveness is a different story. Fold diarrhea is a very common condition, and some foals given probiotics actually had an increase in diarrhea over foals not treated. However, another study using a multi-strain probiotic did show a decrease in this condition and increased body weight in one group of foals. One problem with studies of probiotics is no one knows the correct dosage of probiotics and even knows which bacteria should be included. Another two studies looked at feeding adult horses probiotics that were on high-grain diets to prevent colic and laminitis, and one product was helpful while the other was not. Another concern, especially in hospitalized horses, is salmonella infection, and probiotics did not seem to have an effect on decreasing this infection. So it looks like at this time that most probiotics used in horses are actually from human studies, and hopefully more equine-specific effective products will be found. Most of the probiotics seem to be safe, at least except in some young foals. If you have other questions on probiotics in horses, contact me at TexVet at TXFB.org. I'm Dr. Bob Judd, and this is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. A group of Texas landowners, biologists, conservationists, and veterinarians are calling on the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department to require permanent identification on bred deer in our state. Jessica Domel has the details in today's wildlife report. As the state continues its investigation into the spread of chronic wasting disease in Texas, a grassroots coalition is urging the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department to require deer breeders to use a form of permanent identification on their animals. T.O. Clayberg, a member of the Grassroots Coalition, says the recent emergency order implemented by the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department does not address their concerns regarding identification. They've addressed the high risk in the six positive facilities, but they didn't go further to have a permanent identification on the deer. And and that, we feel like, is necessary because if you see a deer that escaped from a facility that gets out in the wild population, they may have a small tag in their ear, but it's very difficult to identify that as a deer having escaped from a facility. In an ear tag, won't do that either because the ear tag can fall out. We would like to see permanent identification of the deer that are in these uh, breeding facilities. The real concern, according to Clayberg, is if CWD spreads from captive deer into wild deer. If a deer is contracted with CWD, it's 100% fatal. The transmissibility of the disease is uh, very easy. It can be made through contact, through the earth, through the saliva. If a deer gets out of a breeding facility into the wild population, we're concerned that it will decimate the uh, deer that are not in a breeding facility. That was T.O. Clayberg. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Well, it was another volatile day of trading in the markets thanks to a USDA acreage report released Wednesday morning. We'll take a look at what effect that acreage report had on prices coming up next. We'll have all the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets right here on Texas Ag Today. Truck drivers, if you're stuck on a railroad crossing, don't just sit there. It takes a freight train more than a mile to stop, even in an emergency. So by the time you hear this... 
It could be too late to save your truck, and maybe your license or your life. Instead, immediately get out of your truck, away from the tracks, and call the number on the emergency sign at the crossing. That gives the railroad a chance to stop trains before they get to you. Always call the emergency number. It could save your truck, your license, and your life. Go to OLI.org for info. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Well, there is a lot to talk about when it comes to Wednesday's market trade, and it all centers around a USDA acreage report. However, we'll start with the livestock, and as usual, the grains do have an effect on the livestock markets. That acreage report caused new crop corn to move limit up, and that put big pressure on feeder cattle prices. We ended up closing mixed on live cattle with June down a nickel, 122.50, August up 80 cents, 122.72. The October up 40, 128.15. But sharply lower across the board on feeder cattle thanks to that jump in corn prices. August feeders down 277, 154.62. The September down 237, 157.42. October feeder cattle down 205, 159.52. Cash fed cattle market saw some light trade. We're seeing prices this week mostly around 122 here in the Texas area. That's about two bucks lower from last week. Up north, we've seen some cattle trade in Nebraska for around 122 as well. We had the online fed cattle exchange Wednesday. 447 head of Texas cattle sold in that exchange. The price 121.50 to 122. Boxed beef was mixed with choice up 46 cents, 292.80. Select down $1.22, 268.18. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. When you hear auctioneer Troy, it's time to talk to Riley Rhodes at Live Oak Livestock Three Rivers. He sells them every Monday. Riley, how was this Monday sale? Uh, market continues to be really active, Larry, especially on any kind of grazing cattle. Ended up with 1,095 head, high yielding cow 70 to 76, breakers 62 to 70, canners 42 to 62. Had a handful of pairs brought from 800 to 1275. Pretty good string of bred cows, anywhere from 700 to 1200. Deers, two to three weight choice deers, 172 to 194. Heifer mates, 148 to 178. Three to four weight choice deers, 168 to 186. Heifer mates 146 to 164. Four to five weight choice steers 172 to 194. Heifer mates 142 to 160. Five to six weight choice steers 162 to 182. Heifer mates 138 to 156. Six to seven weight choice steers 142 to 158. Heifer mates 128 to 142. And the seven to eight weight choice steers 126 to 140. Heifer mates 114 to 128. I thought the lighter weight calves or grazing calves uh, sold uh, sure sold steady to maybe four higher. Uh, and your heavier calves and yearlings uh, sold steady was last week. So a uh, good sale all the way around. Had pretty decent volume. The quality was good, uh, so real pleased with it today. All right. Sales schedule next week? Uh, we will be closed this coming Monday on the 5th uh, because of 4th of July. Uh, then we'll be back open uh, on the Monday the 12th. Tell everybody how to contact your Riley Roads. 361-813-6650 is the cell. 361-786-2553 is the office. Webpage, liveoaklivestock.com. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Larry. Neighbor, that was Riley Rhodes, Live Oak Livestock 3 Rivers. Sells them down there every Monday. We appreciate you listening to Walking the Pens, a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm your host, Larry Marble. Neighbor, good day. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now where lean hogs were mixed. The July contract up 50 cents, 107.47. August hogs down 37 cents at 103.25. Class 3 milk lower on Wednesday. July milk down 5 cents, 16.92 a hundredweight. August milk down 17 at 17.05. 
The cotton market seeing big triple-digit losses following the USDA acreage report. Kind of a head-scratcher, really. USDA pegging cotton acreage this year at 11.7 million acres. That is below the pre-report guess of 11.84 million. Normally, that would be a bullish factor and move prices higher. But that just did not happen. We closed with big losses. The October contract down 263, 85.51. December cotton down 268 points at 84.90. Corn market, however, was not a head scratcher. USDA estimating corn acreage at 92.7 million acres. That is less than the 93.8 million acres the trade was expecting. That caused a limit-up move in new crop corn futures. July, the old crop, it was sharply higher, up 25.5, closing at 7.20 a bushel. But the new crop contract saw the limit move with September up 40 cents, 5.99 and a quarter. December corn up 40 cents, 5.88 and a half. That strength spilled over into the wheat market. July Kansas City wheat up 31 and a quarter, 650 and a quarter. July Chicago wheat up 31 and three quarters, 671 and a half. Rough rice was lower on Wednesday. September rice down nine, 1347 a hundred weight. The soybean market sharply higher. November beans jumping 86 and a half to close at 1399 a bushel. July soybean meal up $27 to close at $375.50 a ton. In the energy markets, August natural gas up nine cents, $372. August crude oil up $54.73.52 a barrel. The financial markets were mixed. The Dow up 231 points, 34,518. The NASDAQ down 19 at 14,509. The S&P up 7, 4,299. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Don't forget, we'll be right back here tomorrow to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. My name's Kerry Martin. Hope to see you then, right here on Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.